Hey, so it's, it's a privilege to get to speak with you guys today. Um, I'm all fired up from that. <laughs> I'm like, you know, trying to like get my bearings here because uh, that's a powerful song. And, you know, you know, Jody and I may have strategically placed that song in there just to line up with my sermon just a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to just dive right in because I don't have, I've only 15 minutes and then Alan is going to come up uh, and share the rest. But what I want to talk today is about the life that God calls great. You know, like, it's really, you know, Matthew 5, 19, Jesus says it, you know, he says, though, though, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches other accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, that God does say that there, there is a life that can be called great in God's eyes. We don't want to miss out on that. We don't want to just, you know, end up in heaven and be like, yeah, like, this isn't a salvation issue. We're both in the kingdom of God, but we want to do everything in our power while we are here. That when we go to heaven, God is like, you were so faithful. You make good choices. I'm so proud of you. Look at what you, you accomplished through my spirit and through the space of grace. That, that, that you, you positioned your heart in a place in which you could receive my love and reflect that to other people. Man, we want to we receive that when we get to heaven. We want to receive just, just God just being like, your choices were great. You know, oh man, that would be amazing. God and faithful servant, you know. And so, you know, to start off before anything, when you talk about a message like this, it's so easy to go into a shame spiral. You know, we've been there and then we think, you know, we're not doing all the right things and we're guilty and we feel afraid um, and we just kind of run away from God because we, we know in our hearts none of us measure up to, you know, what God really wants for us or, or how much our heart should really burn and desire for him and be the first thing in our in our lives. So just caveat, this isn't a thing that's going to, I want to cause shame in your life or guilt. This is where I want to release pressure off of your life because I don't want you to have to keep striving and, and trying to get it all right all the time and feel the weight and just be struggling here all the time and trying to work your way up when God calls us to a life that is abundant. God calls us to a life, you know, he says that in John 10, 10, you know, you know I want to give you a life and life in abundance, you know. And you see, you know, how many of us, like, realistically, like, if we're being in all honesty when we have our non-church faces on on a Sunday, you know, <laughs> you know, and we're just doing our everyday things, and we read the Bible, and then we, you know, we read that, and it's like, oh, we're going to have life and life in abundance. Life is going to be great. We're going to have one passion for Jesus. Uh, we're going to see the kingdom come. We're going to see miracles happen. We're going to be just like Paul and Peter and the apostles, you know, because we have that same spirit, and, and we believe all these truths when we're reading it. And then five minutes later, we go into work and someone annoys you and someone cuts you off in the car and you're swearing them out of it because you're just, you know, and it just disappears. And the gap then just grows throughout the day because we have little annoyances and we get offended by people just doing stupid things, you know, and just life happening. And it seems so easy in the Bible and then we get to real life and it's so hard and that gap just kills us. And then we're going around for all of our week knowing like deep down this niggling sense that we just block out and medicate to stop people, to stop feeling of that like nagging sense that I, I'm not getting it fully right here. I'm, 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 not, I'm not walking in what God has called me to walk, that I'm missing some things. Why is there this gap? What's, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just get it right? Why do I always feel like I take two steps forward and one step back and then I take three steps back and then five forward and then I'm just back where I came from? You know, they're real questions, and that's the real challenge of the Christian faith. You know, that's real life. 
Life is hard. Things come up. It's a trial. But we plod along because we don't realize how to walk according to the purposes and the promises of God. And we don't know how to receive his grace constantly in our lives. So that when the things come, which they do come, we have the power of God's spirit in order to act rightly. And then when we act rightly and we don't get offended and we bless those who hurt us, you know, then we're free. We, we, we can learn by God's power to be like, okay, I can forgive them and then we're free. And we can come back into God's purposes, back into his plan, back into his desires for our lives. And it's a journey, but we can't do it alone. And we all try. I try it all the time. I struggle and strive and feel guilty and then read my Bible and feel worse after it because I'm like looking how bad I am. And then I'm like, you know, just trying to keep doing it, but I, I kind of hate it, you know, because it makes me feel bad all the time. And you're like, what's wrong there? Something has to change. You know, and over and over again, you know, just going different places and experiencing just life and just talking to people and seeing people, those, you know, those rare people who just seem to have it all together. And like you actually try, you kind of like look at them and you're trying to like figure out like what's wrong with them. Come on, there has to be something wrong, like, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, I'll just wait, you know, that something, you know, wrong will come up with them eventually or, that, you know, we'll see what's, you know, the issue with them. And we're kind of just a bit put out by them because they seem like they have it all together. And you're like, why, you know, what, 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 what am I missing? You know, what am I missing that, that they have and I don't have? Because I say the answer is that, you know, we have Jesus and we have it all. But sometimes I don't feel like that. Sometimes I don't feel like, oh, Jesus, yeah, you know, we're all together and we have it all together because we're good Christians. And reality is, is we don't a lot of the time. You know, and so, again, not a salvation issue, saved by grace. That's, you know, basic thing, saved by grace. We're free. We have our ticket to heaven. We have a space of freedom to encounter God. That's set, sealed, delivered. We are there. But the problem is, is how do we keep cultivating a lifestyle in which our heart always feels like that Jesus is the number one thing and that our lives become progressively more like the life we see in the Bible and not less like it and that we don't just kind of burn out, you know, halfway through life and then give up and then start again in two weeks, you know. And so, you know, Matthew 22, 37 to 38, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's the first and greatest commandment. If you get that, you're done. Everything falls into place. Our minds go quiet. We find peace. All of the things that bother us, it comes into right order. We suddenly are walking in God's purposes and powers, but we don't, when we don't have the first commandment in the first place in our lives, things just don't work out the way they should be. And we'll try and do all these, you know, techniques and maneuvers and, you know, all of these things to try and get our peace. But there'll still be that niggling sense because the first commandment's not in the first place. You know, and so how do we get the first commandment to be in the first place all of the days of our lives? Not just for a week, not just for two hours on a Sunday when that great song hits and we want to give it all to Jesus. But how do we cultivate a life that God calls great, which is a first commandment lifestyle? How do we do that? How do we keep burning? You know, and it comes down to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Simple, we see God, we're transformed. When we see God, we're transformed. There's no secret formula. The more we see God, the more we're transformed by God into his image. And the more we can do the things that God calls us to do in the word. 
It's that simple. We need to be looking at him. You know, in, in the worship, we're talking about nothing else. And do we believe that? If we really had the nothing else except Jesus in our lives, and we seek first the kingdom of God, honestly, everything else would probably fall into place. And even if it doesn't, we still have peace. Even if it doesn't, we still have peace. Why? Because God is glorious and beautiful. And as we look upon something beautiful, it changes everything. Because we reflect that. We become what we behold, right? We see him and we're changed. And so we need to keep looking. We need to keep seeking. We need to keep finding. We need to be able to get a right mind of who Jesus is. And some of us, you know, we grow up in Christian circles sometimes and we develop these views of Jesus that are just wrong. They're just wrong, you know. Jesus isn't just counting, you know, there's the one, the kind of Frankenstein God, where it's like he came back to life and he was all stiff and, you know, like shaking with electricity and was a bit scary and we're afraid of him and we kind of run away from him, but just appease him because we don't, we don't want anything to go wrong. And then we have the other Santa Claus God, you know, who's just, you know, happy chappy, you know, and, oh, sure, aren't you great, you know, you know, the grace of the Lord be upon you, ho, 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 you know, that's, you know, sometimes... That's how we see God in these two views, you know, and we miss out on the majesty of who Jesus is. We miss out on the beauty of who he is. We're missing out on the glory of who Jesus is, and we're missing out on the fundamental of what can change our lives. And we need to strip ourselves of the false views of Christianity and the false views of Jesus that we believe. And we need to encounter something that, you know, in Revelation... And in Isaiah 6 and all over the Bible, we can counter this, this place called the throne room of God in which there's elders around the throne of God worshipping him day and night because they can't help it. Because every time they see him with their eyes, they fall down, cast their crowns on the floor and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And when we see that Jesus and every time we see him, we're transfixed and we're broken and we're healed by him and we're restored by him and our lives are changed by him. When we see that Jesus, everything changes and we need to strip it back and picture Jesus. See the the real Jesus that's in the word of God. And Alan's going to talk about the word of God that has power and that can change. It just change things as we read it and as we see truth. Because that's truth. What we see in our lives isn't truth all the time. You know? We see things, hear things all the time. That doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't. The word of God is truth. That's it. As we read that, we find truth and we find peace. It's that simple, you know? And um, again, I was in, you know, a bit of revelation here and got highly convicted. Again, one of those moments where you're feeling terrible about yourself when you read the Bible because it hits like a dagger. Uh, Revelation 3, 14 to 19. This is uh, Jesus talking to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of those. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Is that, that doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Spit you out of my mouth. That's offensive. You know, is that Jesus? But what I love about this is that he's telling the truth 
that he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to have a first commandment lifestyle of burning for him and seeing him for all he is, you know? But the thing is, is that he says there that I am, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. I discipline those I love, you know? He's standing right there for us to have a fuller view of who Jesus is and to encounter him and to see him and to behold him and to let go of surface-level Christianity and embrace something that's all-encompassing, all-changing, that just changes the dynamics of our hearts, that we suddenly beat at a different pace because Jesus is so beautiful. That's what God calls us to do. And hey, so we know what it's like to be lukewarm. I know what it's like. It's so easy to get distracted. I get distracted by stupid things. <laughs> you know, really, like just, I just get busy and fed up with things. And then I go on to something else. And then I'm currently in the process of reconstructing two bathrooms in my house. And it's arduous work. And I can't say that I was just praising Jesus the whole time, you know. It's just like demolition, taking tiles off of the wall, and they don't come off easy, and then you're kind of giving out to the tiles, and I have the wrong tools and stuff like that. That's, that's life, you know. And Jesus, you know. Jesus is in that somewhere, but he's probably just trying to teach me, you know, in it. But I don't feel like I love burning, you know, because that's just life, busyness. Stuff comes away, you know. Just a house, trying to look after a house or family. All those things come. You know, they all come. But Jesus says if we, we answer the door to him, if we truly answer the door to him, we will find that peace. If we truly do answer the door to him and continue to answer it. And you know what? Like the thing is, is that the minute that we step into that position of our heart in which we're willing to receive the love of God, it changes it. You know, it changes our lives. It really does. And so, so that's what we're, what we're doing is we're positioning our hearts in a space in which instead of pursuing perfection we're simply just happy to pursue God you know like love isn't perfection it's pursuit right we get that it's not being perfect it's about having a heart that longs for Jesus how am I doing for time I have no okay cool cool um (laughs) okay I'll cut this half (laughs) um so I want to finish with just a bit of just real simple like, where do we find the life that God calls great? In Matthew five nineteen, we see it. You know, we see that he says, if you do these things, these eight commandments, you know, you will have a life that I call great. Again, not a salvation issue, a heart posture issue. If we posture our heart in the position in which we do, you know, these, these simple things, I think we should have a few of them up there. Um, you know, they're real simple. Like, you know, yeah, if we go to just Matthew... Verse 4, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. We don't hear that message, but that's in there. If we position our heart in a place where we're actually mourning for the things that mourn God's heart, we're positioning in our place to receive the love of Christ. Sometimes we need to cry (laughs) and just mourn over what is not and allow him to to give us, you know, that, that freedom and that love that's positioning our heart. Just fire into the next one real quick. There we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, positioning our hearts to be willing to be hungry for God. And not filling up on temporal pleasures or just busyness, but being willing to just be filled with the presence of God and hunger and thirst for him alone. That means setting aside things that sometimes we, we just like and just keep our hearts dull. You know, even like fasting is a great practice for that. In order to position our hearts in a place in which we can receive the love of God. That's what it's about. 
It's not about salvation. It's about positioning our hearts in the place to receive God's love. And then just final one. It's blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. This is an issue in where we think that holiness, you know, you, you know, holiness is important, but it's not how we, you know, receive God. It's not how we are, you know, loved by God. Our level of holiness does not change how much God loves us, right? It doesn't. Our, our level of holiness, though, is when we allow things into our life that dull our hearts, which is what sin does, you know. We can't see God and we can't receive his love and, as, you know, we can't receive that blessing. Um, yeah, so just, just want to encourage you with that. Go through the Beatitudes and just see him. Is my heart is willing to be in that posture of, um, of, of just laying myself down so I can receive the love of Christ? It's that simple. Cool. So I'm just going to pray and then invite Alan up. So, Father, I just thank you, God, that you are holy and you are God and you are pure and you are righteous. And, Father, I pray, God, today that we would encounter the love of God and the power of the word of Jesus Christ, that it would change our lives and elevate us to be people of the book and people of your power and people who walk according to grace and position our hearts in a place in which we can receive the love of Christ daily. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Well done. No, you're absolutely fine. I'll get you back later on. You actually segued nicely into my, uh, anyone would think that was intentional. I'm going to speak about the power of the transforming word of God. And John is a great example, really, and he's just showed that. Um, I've known John for about a year now and uh, have been really impressed with his level of growth and maturity in the Lord. And that's down to his devotion and his time that he spends in the word of God. And you've just witnessed that there. And he has a real natural heart and affection. And you always know when you're around somebody that has a natural affection for the Lord. And guys, some of the things that I may say today might challenge us. It's not to convict, uh, to condemn. But it, we, we do sometimes need to hear certain things. Um, and really just to look at the foundation of what our faith means to us. And how as Christians we need to learn how to be a Christian. We need to learn how to walk in faith. How to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Um, so John, well done. Just want to commend you again. Well done. A young man who, yep, thank you. He gave us, he's what, 21, 22? Yeah, gave his life to the Lord about three years ago and has, has seen a, a fantastic growth in his, his level of maturity and your, your hunger and desire is, is commendable. So well done. So guys, my uh, text that I'm preaching on today is Psalm 139. Now it's a long Psalm, so I promise you I won't go through it all. I am a bit of a talker, but I promise you I won't read it all. But there's a couple of verses in particular that I want to focus on, and I'll give you a bit of context in a minute as to why I wanted to share this with you today. Verse 13 and 14, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verse 17 and 18, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Lord, as we dare approach your throne, as we handle your word, Father God, I pray that we would listen to what you have to say to us today. That as we are challenged and convicted, Heavenly Father, that it would do nothing but lead us closer to your eternal presence. Holy and eternal God, wake us up this morning to hear your word. Speak into our hearts and our minds. Help us to cast all of our problems away this morning, to help us to focus our attention 
and eyes on you this morning. Lord, as I, as I speak, let your word speak through me. Let me be a vessel for you this morning. I pray this in your wonderful and powerful name. Amen. So guys, I'm going to share a wee bit of a testimony just to give a bit of context about what I want to speak to today. Some of you might know my story. Um, I was born into a dysfunctional family, a broken family. Both my parents were drug addicts, uh, and I was placed into a foster system along with my siblings at a, a very early age, and we remained there for a few years. But thankfully, it was through the, uh, my, my parents, thankfully through the help of a local church and family, um, they gave their lives miraculously to the Lord. They broke their addiction to drugs. So when I was about nine years of age, um, before this, sorry, we had to go through a, uh, a, a, an arduous, lengthy court battle. And we had to, uh, for that length of time that we went through this, um, there was always that glimmer of hope, but it was a tough battle. But when I was about nine years of age, we were successful. And thankfully, all the family was reunited. So I'd love to say that's the happy ending, but unfortunately, it's, it, it's, it's kind of not. And I'll explain why. We moved to the UK for a fresh start when I was about, uh, as I said, nine. And for the first few years, everything went well. Things were going good. We were involved in a local Baptist church, and my mom used to play the guitar, or well, tried to play the guitar, God bless her. And we got involved sometimes in worship, and we were like the Von Trapp family. Not, n some of you probably will be too young to uh, remember who they are or know who they are, um, but we didn't have a note in our heads and they let us on stage to sing, but look, <laughs> we just made do with what we did. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, Alex has a good voice. <laughs> but uh, as I said, everything went well for the first few years, and eventually, I, thankfully, I gave my life to the Lord as well. But it wasn't long when things, things changed, and the reason why it changed, because my parents fell away. They turned their back from the Lord, fell away from uh, the Lord, and walked away from church. And things quickly spiraled out of control. They went back to drug addiction. And we lived a pretty miserable life as a, as a young teenager. And I have always got those memories, the trauma that I carry. Um, and this is why I want to share what I'm sharing today. So um, we had to deal with that trauma. We had to deal with that hurt. Um, but when I was about 17, we moved back to Ireland. My parents were homesick. So we came home. And... I moved out when I was about 18, and I met my now beautiful wife. Made her a very lucky woman. <laughs> and again, from the outside, everything appeared to be good. Every time Joanne said to me, you know what, Alan, you've had a really tough upbringing. You need to kind of maybe go to counseling. No, 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 everything was great. I had this kind of false memory just as a protection in my own mind. Um, but on the outside, everything appeared great. I had good friends. I had a good job. I had a great social life. I had money. I had health. Everything was good, but inside I was miserable. And there wasn't a day, and I always say this, there wasn't a day when the Lord wasn't calling me, wasn't pursuing me, but I put him to the side, nah, I want to live a life. Even though I was miserable, I wanted more of what was miserable. How stupid we can be. But eventually, I relented, praise the, praise the Lord, and in 2015, I recommitted my life to the Lord. Now, again, I'd love to say that everything was rosy in the garden from that, but it wasn't. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, as believers, new believers, we kind of seem to be on fire for the Lord at the beginning. You know, we're, we want to serve. We want to be, we want to make new friends. We want to talk about Christ as he's our first love. But then that soon fades away for some people, and that's what happened to me. So I ended up being even more miserable. Because I was one foot in the world, 
and one foot in my face with Christ. And I couldn't please either one. And something had to change. And it was through a devotion to the word of God and prayer that something shifted. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying I'm standing up here and I have everything together, but I serve a God who can lead me to full restoration. Now, what God has done in my life is all to his glory because how he's pulled me from a miry pit and he's given me, I was always a show off, a center of attention, but for the wrong reasons. Now, guys, I'll be honest with you. I have been so nervous leading up to coming into today. But yet God gives us such a strength and a power and an ability because he is gracious. When we know the character of the God we serve, oh, he gives us an inner strength, a resilience. But this particular psalm touched me in this particular verse, and I just want to go through this briefly. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I may have been born to a broken mother, but I was designed and created by a perfect father. I was designed with purpose and value, as you all are. And when you hold on to that central truth, it gives you an ability and a confidence to go through life. That no matter what happens, I don't have to look to the past. We're told to look to the future, to what is ahead of us, to seek the prize and keep our eyes fixed on Christ who is seated at the heavenly realms. We are kingdom children. We are here just for a short moment. We belong with him in heaven, in, in paradise. But it's the battle that we endure that is the difficult bit that we struggle with. But we have value and purpose because we have been knitted together by God. But what does that do? When we recognize that and acknowledge the value that we have, it should lead us to praise. I praise you. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you understand the significance of that? That when we understand and acknowledge who God is and what he has done in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds, it should lead us. The natural consequence of that is to worship God with all of our hearts, to praise him, to understand who this holy, reverent God is and to give him all your praise and glory and honor. My soul knows it very well. It's not just a thought. It's not just paying lip service. There's an inner knowledge. God's truth, his wisdom is buried deep within our hearts. And that's where we get that inner strength and that resilience from. If we look at verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And this is the key thing. That we can know the thoughts of God Almighty. The same God who was known as El Shaddai, God Almighty, who called Moses to the burning bush and said, you will know me as Yahweh, a personal God. I can be experienced and encounter that we can know his thoughts. The same God who spoke everything into existence, the same God who we carry his image, that we can know his thoughts. And that is the key to unlocking scripture. See, so many of us, what we do is we pick up the Bible and we cherry pick, and we pick verses here and there, and they're relevant to us, and that's fine. I, I'm cherry picking something now from Psalm 139. However, the point is, is that as we get to grips with what we read, it's not to make us feel better. It's not a self-help book. The story of the Bible is simple. He created the whole universe, 
and mankind. We rejected him. And the rest of the story is all about how he has restored us back to a loving relationship. So would we not want to know who this, this being, who this God is? You think of your own personal relationships, your, your husband or your wife or your best friend or whoever. You can't get to know them by spending a couple of minutes with them every day. And I'm not trying to condemn people here, guys. But how can you have a relationship with somebody if you don't fully know him? And we have to strive to get to know God. So what we try to do as Christians then is, is we try to manage our sin. So what happens is we don't fully know God's character. We sin. And we go, oh, that's it now. I've done it. I've gone too far. And then instead of running to God, we run from God. When we should be coming to God. The psalm was written by David. David's called a man after God's own heart because of his, his love and the way he expressed his joy for God. He loved God with all his heart. David sinned against God. And in Psalm 51, I think it is, he said that. He says, I have sinned against you and you alone. It's his repentant heart. He knew a godly grief. He sensed a godly grief, and that's what brought him closer to God. And that's why God said that he was a man after his own heart. That he knew how to repent. He knew how to call on God. He loved God and knew how to worship. If you look through the whole, and I would love to be able to go through this psalm. Psalm 139 is incredible. You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. So when you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, God is there. He's ever present. He is from above and is above all. You hem me in behind and before. And David goes on to say, such knowledge is wonderful. It's too lofty for me to attain. As the psalm goes on, he, he gets more excited and, and he's, he does a deep, deep affection and a love for his Savior. And you see that throughout this psalm. But if we go back to this, how precious to me are your thoughts, God? That if we can know the thoughts of God, how do we know the thoughts of God? Is by studying and reading his scripture. It's not about becoming a, making a ritual out of this. We read scripture simply to spend time with God. I'm not asking you to know that you have to be able to memorize every single page. That's not what we're called to do. It's when we spend time in scripture, we spend time with God. And we learn about his character. We learn about his will. And what his will is for us, how much he loves us and adores us and tre treasures us. We are his treasure. But how do we do this? The power to unlocking scripture is meditation. And that's something that has helped me in my own journey. If we go back to um, Psalm 1, the beginning of the Psalms. Blessed is the man, we have it there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's about meditation. It's, it's, meditation has the power to unlock the scripture. And what meditation does is it changes our beliefs. Because as we meditate on God, meditation is simply preaching a sermon to yourself. When you read something in, in the word, it's memorizing that in your thoughts speaking to God continually throughout the day. What's our biggest battle? Our biggest battle is our thoughts. Is our thoughts. We believe lies every day. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. But God is telling you, you are. He wants you to fill your thoughts up with his thoughts. 
which is things, that's why he says, set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's to set your mind, imitate Christ, to think of God's thoughts, not to beat yourself up when you feel like you're not worthy. Come back to God in prayer, in faith, knowing that God loves you and God has purpose and a plan for you. If we look at Joshua, uh, the first chapter of Joshua, so Joshua was a man who was a trainee under Moses. He was an assistant to Moses. And he was about to walk into the promised land. Moses wasn't allowed to come. We see a, a nation of Israel who had been wandering in the desert for 40 years because of a disobedience and a lack of faith. And Joshua knew what he was about to step into. He had a commission from God. But God says to him this, You're not, be strong, be courageous, but your success lies on this. Your success lies by remaining in my word delighting in my word, knowing my word. Your word should not depart from your mouth day or night. And he says this to Joshua, even though when you go back to Exodus 33, I love this. I don't have the scripture up there, but it's come to mind. Where Moses meets God in the tent of meeting face to face as a friend would meet a, fr a friend. But this one throwaway line is, Joshua would not leave the tent of meeting. Joshua had a relationship with God and yet God is still telling him that you need to remain in my word to continue in that enduring relationship. So what does that mean for us guys? It just means that we need to be devoted to God through his word. It's not about making a ritual. It's not about um, beating ourselves up when we fall off the, uh, a certain way. It's simply about knowing God Knowing God through his word. If we look at Colossians 1.9, we have it up on screen there as well. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, wisdom and understanding. Paul here is encouraging the church in Colossae. But he's saying here that for you, he said, you need to uh, increase the knowledge of the will of God. That's the starting point. He then goes on to talk about serving and about loving. And, and that's the starting point, though, is to know God, to, have a, to increase your knowledge of, uh, in, in the will of God. So I'm just trying to encourage you guys that to not be afraid of this Bible, but that if we really take our faith seriously, we should know the word of God. That we should, we should uh, I remember in Timothy, when Timothy, Paul says to Timothy that, don't be afraid that you're a young man. You know, you've been called to purpose, but he says, devour the word of God. Immerse yourself in the word of God. So please hear what I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying, guys. What I'm saying is learn to, to love the word of God and that will transform your mind and transform your hearts. Stop trying to do it the other way around. You're not perfect. You serve a perfect God. Christ dwells within us. He will give us the ability once we know what his commands are. And his will for us is. Lord, I just thank you for your enduring word and your truth today. We just thank you, Father God, that you have given us a word today, that your word is truth. That everything else in this earth will fade away, Lord. But your word will remain forever. I just pray, Father, as we go on our way this morning, that we would begin to really listen to what you have, what you want for us and how we can learn to approach you, Lord, how we can learn to trust in you, to grow in faith, how we can be committed to you, Lord. 
thank you for the opportunity that we have today to be able to, to, to give this word to your church, your body. As we go into worship, Lord, I just pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. Thank you for the freedom that you've given us, the freedom in you. And that freedom sets us free. That we are no longer chained to our past. But that we look to what's ahead. You are a God of providence, a God of blessing. A God who will open doors and close doors. A God who will speak into us in the depths of night. When we are on our knees, God. Our hearts yearn for you. Our spirits within us desperately seek you out, Lord. I pray that is the, the cry of our hearts. That we would be a church that would keep our eyes to you. Always seeking you, Lord. Responding to your word and to your goodness. We pray this, Lord, in your wonderful and powerful name. Amen. Guys, let's stand and go back into worship.